All right. Um, welcome to Cross Life. My name is Andrew Albert. If you don't know me, thanks for coming. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, if you've been here with us, you know that we've been studying parables this summer. Um, I want to tell you how much of a privilege it is to come and stand and, and to preach tonight. Uh, I want to thank uh, the staff at Grace with Tanner and Matt uh, and allowing me this opportunity. Before we worship through hearing from the Word of God, I want to remind us that no amount of focus that you're going to be able to put forth, no amount of intellect can make you understand what we're talking about in Scripture. We must have God working and moving in our hearts. He must be there. And so before we begin, we must pray. And I want to ask Him to help us through this text today. Father, thank You for this opportunity for brothers to be here. Thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. And so we ask that you would do a work in our hearts. Reveal our hearts to us and prick and prod us. Bring us to repentance. Bring us to worship of you. Do a work in us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight I'm going to be looking at Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. But as many as, as many of you know, there wasn't chapters and verses when they wrote it. And so this parable actually is starting in chapter 19, verse 16, and it goes through tw- chapter 20, verse 16. And so I'm just going to give you a little synopsis of the beginning. Chapter 19, verse 16 through 19, verse 26 is the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus asking for eternal life. Jesus uses the par- or uses the, the commandments trying to reveal a sin, and he says, I've kept them all, which no human can do. He declares to be self-righteous. Then Jesus reveals his love for money by saying, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me. The tragedy is that the man left. He was not willing to give to the poor. He was not willing to come and follow Jesus Christ. He loved money too much. And so, knowing that, we're going to come into what Peter responds after hearing Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler. And so I'm going to start in chapter 19, verse 27, and I'm going to read through chapter 20, chapter 20, verse 16. As I read, please follow with me. Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out, found others standing idle, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. 
When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own, or is your eye envious, because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first last. Peter's comment in 1927, if we remember what the rich young ruler, I kind of just gave a synopsis of it, a little quick snippet of it, but Peter undoubtedly heard what the rich young ruler said. He wanted eternal life. Jesus said you must give up all of your things. And, and I want you guys to be careful. You don't have to give up all your things to follow Jesus as far as all of your money. That, there's, not, there's nowhere in Scripture at the Samaritan or the woman at the well that says you must sell all your things then you can come to follow me. No, but what gripped this man was greed. This is a certain case. And so Peter, knowing that, says, hey, but we've left everything and what will it be for us? Because I've done that. He, he quickly reminds Jesus that they've done that. And so Jesus does answer and says what his reward is. But then, verse 29, he kind of comes back to big picture. Jesus does and says, And everyone who has left houses and brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many as much or many times as much and will inherit eternal life. So Peter wants to focus on himself. And Jesus responds by saying you will have a reward, but then he gets out and, he, and he's going to get big picture. And so sandwiched between, between, but many who are first will be last and last first, then we go through the text that I'm going to be talking about, but the text that I'm speaking on ends with almost the identical statement. So the last shall be first and the first last. So that he's, going to, he's going to explain that phrase, and that's what we're going to dig into tonight. And so... As we look at this, we need to be reminded the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. The landowner, remember, is God. And so as we work through this, I'm going to try to point out just what God is doing as being the landowner. And so let's begin. Let's go to verse 1, chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Okay, so we need to notice, landowner... He went out. That's important. He went to hire, and it's for his own. Verse 2. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. So the landowner goes out and finds the laborers. Then he sets a wage, a denarius. And if you don't know what that is, it's just a, it's a coin back then. And it's not just like, it's, it's not an okay day's wage. It's a pretty good day's wage. It's, it's absolutely sufficient because Roman soldier would be paid a denarius a day. And so we're not talking about being underpaid. In fact, that's a really good for a vineyard and for harvest time, for workers, that's, that's a good pay. So he sets the price. And then he sends, he sent them into his vineyard. Okay, now we're going to move into a next, a next set of workers. And a work day would be from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So when it says he went out early in the morning... That's going to be 6 a.m. Those are the first workers. And remember that they have a set wage, a denarius for the day. Now we're going to move into these next workers. Verse 3. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. 
Okay, so the third, third hour, that's 9 a.m. to help us understand. And then it says that they're standing in the marketplace. So for us today, if we wanted a job, we would go fill out an application. We would go drop it off. Hopefully the manager's there. You can talk to him, see, see if you can get a job. Here, that's a, that was a daily thing for the Jews to stand in the marketplace, hoping and wishing that somebody's going to come by and say, yeah, come with me. We're going to go work for today. doesn't really happen, but that's exactly what. And they depended upon that work to feed their family. So this is important. And so this is very common. The Jews would understand this. Now let's move to verse 5. And to those, he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. And so verse 4, we see that they don't have a set pay. And we know that this landowner is, is trustworthy, or we're assuming he's trustworthy, because these men don't negotiate a price. They just say, oh, he's just going to give what is right, so I'm going to go. And so they go. So that's important. So verse 5. Again he went out, about the sixth and the ninth hour, and did the same thing. So continually we see that the landowner is going out and getting workers, going out and getting workers. And so it says about the sixth hour, which is noon, and about the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. And so, so far as we've, as we've gone through this, we had 6 a.m. workers, we had, then we got 9 a.m. workers, and we got noon and then 3 p.m. Let's continue. Verse 6, And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? Okay, so if you remember what I said at the beginning, it's 6 a.m., 6 p.m. The eleventh hour is 5 p.m. There's only one hour left in the workday. And so he goes out again. And he says, Why are you standing around idle all day long? So imagine, these men are standing here for eleven hours knowing that they need to feed their, their children and their family by getting work, and they've been standing for 11 hours, waiting in the marketplace, eager for someone to come and tell them, let's go work. Let's look at verse 7. They said to him, because no one hired us, he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So we, they, they talked and they said, no one hired us. And he said, let's, you go into the vineyard. So that's one hour of work. They're probably at that point not even looking for work that day, maybe just trying to set something up for tomorrow. And yet this this landowner goes out and says, you come and work. And it's just like those other, the the 9 a.m., the noon, the 3 p.m., and the 5 p.m., they never have a set wage. And so they're all alike. And so now we're going to move into another section when when the day is over and they're going to get paid. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. So the day's over, which would be 6 6 p.m., so it's after that, except the people and the men who've been working from 6 a.m. are getting paid last, and the the group that he just picked up at 5 p.m. is getting paid first. That's important. Why is that important? Because we're going to continue to see that it's going to show a hard issue that's going to come up in these early workers. Verse 9, when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. So to help us with this picture, I'm going to say that a day's worth of work 
We go by hour a lot, but I'm going to say that it's a 12-hour day would be $120. You'd get that for the day, which would be $10 an hour. It's a little easier for us to understand. But if you came in at 5 p.m., you would not expect to get $120. You'd probably expect to get 10 That would make sense. And yet, he has received a full day's wage, and a good wage, for one hour of work. Verse 10. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. So the thought that they maybe would receive more really is not bad in itself. So they see the people work before them. They didn't work as long. Hey, maybe we'll get a little more. Seems like the boss is being generous. And yet, it says, but each of them also received a denarius. And if we look at verse 2, it said they had agreed to a denarius. So they're not getting cheated at all. They're in fact getting exactly what they had agreed to. And now the story is going to change. Because all the other workers are going to go away. And now it's going to be a dialogue between the first workers and the landowner. And so pay attention here because it's going to really reveal and I, I, I pray that this will wake us all up with what we're about to look at. Verse 11. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner. They grumbled. They complained. They said that's not fair. And yet look at verse 2. It is fair. That's exactly what they said. It's a full day's wage. But they grumble. Except they don't remember and often we don't remember, or I don't remember, that's the landowner who went out and got the workers, who set the wage. It was his vineyard. Verse 12, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. So we see that they're not mad about how much they were paid necessarily. It's not about the denarius for the day. It's that they were made equal with the ones who hadn't worked as long. They are upset at the generosity of the owner. The owner gave them and they said, wait a minute, they shouldn't be equal to me. I deserve more. It continues. Verse 13. But he answered and said to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? So we see he says friend. And so by help of Matt and I looking at this, in Matthew 26, 50, I'll read it to you. But Jesus says this to Judas, and he uses, and Jesus said to him, friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. So this is not an intimate friend. This is a comrade. This is, in a, this is a, maybe a business part. And this would be a business part. A friend or uh, somebody that you know. It's not intimate though. He said friend. Kind of like if you knew a friend that was going down the wrong path. And you said, come here, buddy. Let me help you. Let me direct you. Friend. Verse 14. Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. And so as we look at God being the landowner, it's not our job to decide how much he gives to others. 
It's not our job. And so it's his right to give what he desires to give. Verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? And the beginning of that, of course it's his right. It, of course it is lawful for him to give whatever his own. But here it is. Here's the hard issue. Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Matthew 6, 22-23 The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. His eye is envious because I am generous. They couldn't see the goodness of the landowner because of how much they wanted more, more, more. So focused on self that they could not see the generosity of the landowner. The men that were standing there for 11 hours, they could not see how generous he was being because they wanted it. And so it says, so the last shall be first and the first last. And so my question to you guys is, does this shake you up like it shook me up the last couple weeks I've studied this? In America, entitlement, 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 you need this, you need this, you deserve this, you deserve this. Or are we more like Luke 17.10, which says, So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say we are unworthy slaves, we have done only that which we ought to have done. And so I want to look at a spiritual entitlement, because this sets our course and focuses on maybe material, how the day goes, how the job goes, how a daily go. And so I'm going to say, what do we deserve? And if you've you've been in church long enough, you say, well, I know that we're sinners, so we deserve God's wrath. Well, you're right, but I want to look at that. And I want to see why. And so turn with me to Mark 7. So we're in Matthew. We're going to go to the right. Matthew, Mark. We'll go to Mark 7. Verses 21 through 23. And it says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as all deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Our hearts are wicked. Not kind of good, like some teaching today, but totally and fully wicked. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And here's the problem. Psalms 5.4 says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. And if we look at Mark 7, 21, I, I proceed evil thoughts, thefts, murders, adulterers. God takes no pleasure in wickedness. And so when we look at entitlement, if we understand our stance before God, seeing really who we are, when somebody doesn't get our drink to our table right away, 
Should that really make us all that angry? So let's look at Romans 3, 10 through 18. We're in Mark. We're going to go to Luke, John, Acts. Then we're going to Romans chapter 3. Verses 10 through 18. And listen to this. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We need God just to seek Him. That is grace. For us to desire to know His Word, that is grace. And it doesn't end there. Chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And this is why I can't stand the teaching of today in many churches. Because it's so man-centered. It's so focused on the man and what they do and that Jesus is just an accessory. And they don't understand the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. And so I want us to look and I want you to just listen to me as I read Ephesians 2, 4-9. through 9. But God being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 5, Even when you were dead, remember, the landowner went and got the laborers set a wage, sent them into the field. Don't you see, men? We must have a changed view. We don't deserve anything but wrath. People say, I can't believe in a God that would allow all these, those people to be killed and this or that. You fill in the blank. Our response should be, I am in awe of my God who allowed me to have breath until now. Out of my mom's womb I was a hater of God. That He has allowed me to live. What a gracious God. And yet we're in, we are entitled for more, more, more. Can't even see the goodness of God when all you want is more more, more. 
And so you who do not know Jesus tonight, Romans 2.4 says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? His goodness? His kindness? Do you see God's goodness? If you don't, plead with Him that you would. Ask Him that you would. That you would stop being so focused on self, self, self that you can't see His goodness. And believers here tonight, this wicked world that we live in, has it clouded your eye so much that when good things happen to others, you just say, why can't that happen to me? Why isn't that happening to me? Or are we looking at God's grace and His mercy that He lavishes on us, that we have breath? And if we know Him, that we know Him. Let's pray. Father, as I think about entitlement, and I think about how much I see my own heart desiring more and more instead of looking at Your mercy and at Your grace. I ask that You would clear our eyes tonight. That You would continue to work in our hearts to see if there's things that are clouding our eyes. So that You would be our treasure and nothing of this world. I pray this in Jesus' name.